Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast with TSN's Ray Ferraro. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Please subscribe on iTunes or any podcatcher out there, as well as uh, on Stitcher app. And uh, two under, the best men's underwear out there, the number two, UNDR.com, the official underwear of Ray Ferraro. Please use the code Ferraro20 to save money at twounder.com. We appreciate it. And we appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. It's great to have a guy like Ray on the show. And uh, what's up, Ray? How are you? You're in Toronto today? In Toronto, got the Red Wings tonight, and um, pretty interesting. Uh, first time really doing a Wings game where they're not in a playoff race. And it is, you know, I guess when I broke in, the Red Wings weren't quite the team that they were going to be. That was in the mid-'80s, and they went through a stretch of time there where they were really struggling to figure things out, and then all of a sudden it hit. And this is 25 years that's that's going to end this year with the playoff spot. I mean, it's... It's remarkable that that's even possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess the the one thing is the you know two years ago the Red Wings were in Game Seven of the first round against Tampa Bay. They lost uh, two nothing, one nothing for nine, you know fifty nine yeah. minutes and an empty netter. And Tampa went all the way to the finals. So it's it's funny how quickly the ball rolls over. And now Detroit's on the bottom, and they've got to climb their way back up. And they hope it can be quick, but I guess you just never know. I don't know how much you've watched them, Ray. I haven't watched them a ton, but I keep waiting for Peter Morazic to take the next step. I remember uh, there was a stretch where he was on fire a couple years ago. Jimmy Howard's kind of been pushed to the backup role. And that's has that not happened, that, that step for, for Morazic? Uh, this year's been a disappointment for Peter. Um, he's... Uh, you know, he had his December and January months were very poor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jimmy Howard had gotten off to a terrific start before he hurt his knee, and he's been out since late December. Uh, but Morazic was down like 87% save percentage in December, and it uh, took him a while to to get the net back. But he, he looks like he's got it back in line again. And um, I'm with you. I, I think Peter is... A super talented goalie. He's not a big guy. He's really aggressive. When he's got a kind of a cockiness, a swagger to him, that's mm-hmm. when he's at his best, and that's where he looks now. Now, Detroit's going to have to make a decision in the off season, like everybody else with the expansion draft. Uh, they're going to have to expose either Peter or Jimmy Howard. It seems to me that they would expose Howard. Um, but you know, I mean, that's one more position of evaluation. Hell, when you're thirtieth in the league as they are, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, or I guess they're not 30, they're 28th. I mean, right down there with Arizona and Colorado yeah. this year, there's no position you don't evaluate. True. True. Um, yeah. So you're going to call the, uh, Red Wings Leafs tonight. My Leafs are struggling right now. Yeah. They've, uh, five regulation or five wins in 18 games. 
Um, they've got uh, Detroit tonight, Philadelphia Thursday. They're in Carolina Sunday or Saturday, mm-hmm. and then they go down to Florida for the Panthers and the Lightning. And so these are five games you like to, you know, they probably would like to have at least six or seven points on the out of these five games. And but right now they're stumbling around a little bit. It's not that it's been so terrible. It's when they make a mistake, it's a colossal blunder. You know, like the game in San Jose they had, it's tied 1-1. There's under two minutes left. They've got three guys defending one in the defensive zone, and somehow San Jose gets the game-winning goal out of that. Then the, the next time in, or the next night in L.A., they were terrific. Mm-hmm. Until the third period, they make a huge mistake. Kadri and Riley misplay a puck, and it ends up tied. They lose in a shootout. And then in Anaheim, they just they kind of imploded on the last game of the trip. They made three really bad defensive mistakes. and So it's, it hasn't been terrible, but it's mm-hmm. been enough to cost them points in, you know, every night that they play lately. And they're going to have to get themselves back on the beam tonight. Did you not get my text about what to ask Babcock? You never replied. You never said anything. Yeah, like... I, what am I going to say? This idiot wants me to ask you a question. <laughs> Josh Levo, I, what did he do? Something bad? Did he? Well, I liked him. He was playing well. No, I think Levo has really been a, a really pleasant story. Okay, it's just where are you going to where are you going to put him in the lineup right now? They like Soshnikov for his penalty killing, um, and Levo doesn't do that. Their power plays first in the league, so they. They've got everybody back. They don't really need Levo there right now. So where are you going to put him? I, I always liked Levo's game lately. I have liked it. I don't no, know. No, but you haven't answered. Matt Martin. In, yeah, Matt, Matt Martin comes out. Not a chance. Why? Right. Because <laughs> there are two guys oh. that are not coming out of well, of the guys not coming out mm-hmm. of the lineup will be Matt Martin and. And Zach Hyman. Yeah, you told me. You told me. Right. You said Hyman. Right. Okay. Well, I I I watch Matt Martin, and I'm 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 at a loss as to what he's doing. He must be really good in the room. Well, you've got three more years to figure it out. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, he does. Um, Hey, um, something we'll get into this maybe throughout the show, but this this kind of goes into a uh, a topic that uh, you did a little bit of of research on, uh, and. Brian sent this email in for Ray. Uh, he's loving the podcast. Uh, his question is, uh, with all this focus on the Leafs defense and whether or not Riley can develop into a number one D-man, likely a number two, he says, how many true number one D-men are there in the NHL? And, uh, you know, how many D-men do you think there are in the NHL? Weber, Carlson, Hedman, Suter, Keith Burns, Peter Angelo, Dowdy, Subban, Ekman Larson. Uh, he lists a few of them. But more about Morgan Riley here, Ray. He's been struggling a bit. Can he take the next? Like, I like his game. I think he's really, really good. And uh, I'm happy to see him on a number one pair. Can he be elite, though, or is he already where he's at? Oh, I I think Morgan's game will grow. Um, I I think there's there's a way or a time that his game will be more rounded. It used to be more offensive. This year they've asked him to take a big step back from the offense and and be more of a shutdown guy along with Nikita Zaitsev. So he has very little production offensively. But I think the production will go up and his defensive game will get better. 
Um, he's still a very young player, but he has plateaued a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, since he hurt his ankle, his game has just fallen off the rails. And um, he's played 16 games, and I know plus-minus is not what it used to be, but he is minus 16 in those 16 games. Yeah. He's been back. That's... That means there's a lot of time the puck's in your net, or there's a lot of time, your fault or not, mm-hmm. that the puck is in your end of the ice. And I know that he gets the heavy matchups all the time, but what this is telling me is that he can't handle them at this point. And I don't know if – I'm almost certain he's not 100% healthy. Not many players are at this time of year, mm-hmm. but a high ankle sprain really hinders your ability to skate, pivot, and turn. And so I think, I think he's working at a deficit here. And his, his game has not been good. There's been very little impact. Um, if you watch him, he skates fine when he's in a straight line. Mm-hmm. When he has to go back and get a puck or he's got to be really nimble, there seems to be a, you know, a, a little bit of a hitch for him. Um, as far as being a, a standalone number one D, I don't, I don't think he's that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the, the guy wrote in, um, you know, how many are there really? Are yeah. there 15, maybe? You know, I you know I I would say almost every team in the league would would love to find a, a player that can you know that can take yeah. twenty five or six or seven minutes and and really you know really own the ice when he's on it night after night and I, I just don't think that's where where Morgan is but mm-hmm. given where the least defense is that's where he is they've moved him, him and Zaitsev uh, split him them apart the last few games I noticed uh, Babcock has. And I mean, I guess that's an indication. Yeah, it looks like they're back together for Detroit. Okay. Um, you know, they play. They had Riley playing with Marchenko and um, uh, Gardner playing with Zaitsev, um, with Connor Carrick out of the lineup. Now Gardner has taken a, a step back here in the last couple of weeks as well. To me, he's had more of those moments where you look at and go, "I have no idea what he's thinking there." <laughs> in the last yeah. couple of weeks, than he's had all year. Yeah. I, I, he is, he's good on three-on-three, three, though. Keep putting him out there for that. Well, yeah, you just got to get through the first 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, it's, you know, look, he's had a very good year. He's really tamed the wild moments. But the last, as I said, the last couple of weeks, um, mm-hmm. he's, he's really had some ups and downs for sure. So going back to Brian's question, and, and this is maybe putting you on the spot a little bit, but so he says, Weber, Carlson, Hedman, Suter, Keith, Burns, Peter Angelo, Doughty, Doughty, Subban, Ekman, Larson, and he said, "Would you he throw Latang?" Yes, and he th- "Would you throw Latang in there?" And, sure, for sure. And that would be his number elite guys. You know, is there anybody? I, I don't know too many defensemen that I would take in front of Eric Carlson right now. Yeah, he's had a phenomenal year. He's got 58 points. I think he's 14th in the league as we tape this. Um, he has really limited the craziness to his game, like the wildness, and he is amazingly talented. Mm -hmm. He can do things that other players just can't do. And it will be an absolute shock if he's not one of the last three Norris Trophy candidates Yeah, this year for me. I I mean, I think the first two are absolute locks, and that's him and Brent Burns, of course. Right. Yeah, Burns is phenomenal. Hard what a to, year! Uh, I, you forget that he was forward for so long. You know, like I don't know what that adjustment would be like. 
I, I would think it'd be gnarly. I mean, of course, the great Wendell Clark went from defenseman to forward. I see that easier, right, all day long than oh, going back. Sure. Right. Uh, so, But what Brent Burns does makes him, and the way that he does it, makes him, in my opinion, the most unique player in the league. Yeah. I, I just... Who else can do that? I guess Bufflin could. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't. Yep. But, I mean, Burns is like a a rock, a big rock rolling downhill. It's like he just <laughs> picks up momentum, and you're like, when is it ever going to stop? Yep. That's what he looks like to me. Oh, by the way, the great Timu Solani will be on the on the Paul Pocky podcast with Ray Ferraro here. So, well, I'll tell you, there was a player that was, you know, he got the whole picture. He was uh, entertaining, productive, accessible for the media, mm-hmm. uh, positive. I mean, we used to, when, when Timo was still playing, we would talk to him and we'd often say, you know what, no matter what day it is, you say to him, hey, how's it going, Timo? Fantastic. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah. Every day was yeah. a great day with Timo. And there was one day I remember specifically we were in Anaheim and he'd been hit two days before with a puck in the face. And it looked like he had an enormous chew like the baseball players used to have oh, yeah, yeah. In, in his right, cheek. Right. It looked gross. And we're like, Tamo, how are you doing? He could barely talk. He's like, I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> You're like, really? <laughs> like you get hit with a baseball bat. Yeah. But it didn't matter. You know, like, he was just, there's something magnetic about the way Solani's personality is and the way that he played the game. Did you have any stories of playing against him? Like, did he burn you, or did you guys square each other up when there was a line brawl and you both laughed at each other while you grabbed no, each other? Or? There was never any. For, there were, line brawls were very rare, but very memorable right. to start with. <laughs> Tamo was, it was impossible to, um, <laughs> it was impossible for me to get close to him because I never had those matchups. When, when Tamu was on the ice, I was often in the best seat in the house, <laughs> which was three feet from the ice, and I could watch him play. Man, he could skate so powerful. I, I, I loved watching him play. He was, he was one of my favorites. Uh, it was amazing, though. I remember, so he go, gets traded to Anaheim, has some great years. Him and, uh, him and Paul Correa go to Colorado as a pair. Or was he traded to San Jose first? I think maybe he's no, traded Colorado. to Colorado. Yeah, Colorado. They have they both have a terrible time in Colorado. And I remember reading like, you know, is Timu done? Is he will he ever get back to where he was? And of course, seventy six goals. I don't know about that, but and I love the fact that and I think he had some surgery done on his knees. You know what, Steve? That let me stop you yeah, right there. Yeah. There was the absolute turning point for the latter part of Timu's career is that year in Colorado was a disaster. Mm -hmm. And everybody was so excited that he and Korea took one-year contracts. They were going to go to Denver and maybe help them win again. Mm -hmm. Timu couldn't move. His knee was shredded. And at the end of that year, he had a total reconstruction of his knee that was not just an ACL surgery. It was a, a complete reconstruction. And his good fortune was that there was a lockout. So that after the year in Denver, he had a full year, almost 15 months oh, I to rehab. I forgot about that. Okay, yeah. So there we go. And when he came back, it was like, oh, my God, it's the old <laughs> Solani. Yeah. He could skate again. The finished so flash. The, unfortunately, back. the timing of his 
yeah. here in Denver was poor. Uh, so we'll have him on later. And, uh, Ray, that was my guest, by the way. I pulled the strings to get Timu on the show. boy. Both times you start doing something. <laughs> Who would have ever thought that? Um, well, it's, he's been into the Supercross and Motocross. He's been riding with a bunch of mutual friends of mine and everything. So um, getting a hold of him was kind of like getting a hold of the president, but maybe not the current president, but the older presidents. Yeah. Um, yes, I think we're <laughs> – let's move along. <laughs> hey, so GM meetings are going on right now, and uh, – God bless Lou Lamorello. Uh, Lou, you know, the oldest GM in the league. You would think uh, he would be old school, and he is. He says he hates the loser point. He does not want to see. He's not down with the three-point game, which is something, Ray, you spoke about on this show two, three weeks ago when we were talking about it, and, I, and I'm okay with that. Uh, Lou said not three points too much, whatever, and don't do that. But Lou did say there's no way the losing team should get a point. Hooray for Lou Lamorello for saying that. Well, I, I don't disagree but I, I do believe that teams, or fans rather, want to see a conclusion to the game. Um, I don't know that they're down with tie games anymore. Um, you know, we've been away from it for so long. I guess it's maybe just a feel that I have because I don't know how long it's been since there's been any tie games allowed in the league because we've gone to the shootout. I don't think there's any chance Lou can get back to the two points for a win and zero points for a loss and one for a tie. I don't think that's going to happen. I think if there's anything that's going to happen, it will go to the three points. You know, um, three points for a regulation win, two for an overtime win, mm-hmm. and one for an overtime loss. Something the GM. I, I just. Oh, you, oh, go ahead. Something the GM's also kicked around um, was a face-off dot. In front of the net. Forget the two face-off dots in the in the zone now, and just put one in front of the net. That seems rather radical, but hey, sure, why not? Well, no, this is. See, that's the thing is like we often think because we don't have the you know the final determination on this stuff. Sure, why not? Let's give it a try. Yeah. So at a research and development uh, seminar a few years ago, uh, I think Brendan Shanahan. Um, was the spearhead of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a bunch of players and coaches and um, managers together, and they all spitballed some ideas, and they went and they had a bunch of junior players try out these new ideas. One of them was the face-off in the middle of the ice. Oh, really? Oh, okay. They, my recollection of it is what yep. ended up happening was, you know, the idea is that the puck's in the middle of the ice, not near the boards more, so there would be more offensive plays. Well, what ended up happening is, Let's assume the offensive team wins the draw. Puck goes back to the point. The five defensive players, they just stand they there. Still They're move. already in the middle of the ice. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it's like, it's like jamming more people into a bus stop. So at least when the draw is on the wing, you spread out, um, you spread out people. Mm-hmm. Right? Because yeah. if you win the draw, you can go D to D and get a quick shot on the net. If they want to try something radical... How about the offense or the defensive players um, can't line up on the near circle, so that you oh, spread okay. the players across the sure, ice? Sure, sure. You know, so yeah. I mean, really, the the death of offense is the fact that everybody knows eventually to score, you've got to get the puck to the front of the net. Mm-hmm. It's got to go in the open hole of the net, right? <laughs> right. So you can do whatever you want with the rink, but eventually everybody's going to. Can go, you know, they yeah. congregate right in front of the net. So, if you think about the face-off circle, what if the the interior players, 
the defenseman and the offensive forward mm-hmm. have to line up on the far circle. Ah, oh. yeah. Yeah, space. So nothing really changes. Yep. The lines on the ice don't change. But now, you've got, you know, the centerman would be able to chip the puck past the other defensive centerman and maybe attack the net straight away. Like, why not? Yeah. Like, that to me seems something that would actually create room on the ice mm-hmm. as opposed to this other idea, which, like all ideas, there's no such thing as a bad idea but or a bad question. I just don't see how it would work. A couple things in the standings, Ray, I want to ask you. First off, Calgary is on fire right now. Calgary and Brian Elliott is Brian Elliott is back. He's playing well. Yeah, you know what? Here's something that means nothing that I'm going to point out. Hmm. I can't, I can't stress it's meaningless enough. But what? <laughs> look at Brian Elliott when he started the year. Mm-hmm. Red gloves, red pads, looked awesome. Yeah. Now white pads. Oh, okay. I don't know why that would matter. I don't get it. But I do know that when I was playing crappy, I would change my gloves or change the tape on my stick. I don't know why that would possibly happen or why it would matter. But all of a sudden, Calgary's, I think, uh, 13-1-1. One one. Elliot's been fantastic, yeah. just what they hoped he would be. Um, the, the issue for Elliot is gonna, when people look at his season – his October and November were so bad, he can never rescue his numbers. Yeah. Like, yeah. he can never look really good, but you have to get past that first little bit when Chad Johnson did his bit. And here's Calgary. They've more or less solidified their playoff spot. Yeah. Yeah, they really have. Um, who's been the, the guy most responsible for the turnaround lately that, that you you know that you think? A couple guys or? In Calgary? Yeah. Oh, I would say there's a couple of things. Um, when they um, when they added a couple of defensemen, um, you know, they added Michael Stone from from Arizona, and they got Barkowski off. Uh, he was on an American League contract that helped kind of reorganize their defense. And so now Brody is with Stone, and that allows Dougie Hamilton and, and Mark Giordano to play. So their top four is balanced. Hamilton has, has really taken a step in his game to um, to what I was talking about with Riley earlier, where it mm-hmm. rounds out to a good defensive side of the game, and now there's the offense that people thought was going to be there. That's num- that's one reason. Um, number two is the you know the play of Elliott. You can't you can't ever look past the goaltender. And number three, I would say, is they're getting some balance up front. The Frolic line. Uh, Froelich, Backlund, and Kachuk has been their best line all year. But, okay, in the last six weeks or so, here came Sean Monaghan and Johnny Goodrow. And Michael Furland's on the left side of that line. He's got 13 goals. So now they've got dangerous people around the lineup. They've got 10 10 players with at least 10 goals. Um, Only three teams in the league have that. So they're dangerous offensively. They're balanced. They have a better defense, and their goaltender's been outstanding. I didn't want to really bring this up to you, Ray, but I want to get your opinion on it because it's kind of been floating around the, the hockey blogs and hockey podcasts and this and that. So Dennis Weidman uh, cross-checked Ston Henderson last year. We all saw it. We don't know what he was thinking, what happened. I have no idea 
what was going through his head. And now the Flames are one of the most penalized teams in the league. Uh, they, for years, they were in the bottom uh, three, four, five teams uh, for the previous three, four years. And now they are one of the most penalized teams. And there's some people that are saying this is the officials getting back at the Flames. Is there anything to that? Well, I, I don't know that. I mean, I, it would just be a guess. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my guess is no. My guess is that they've just taken a lot of penalties this year. If this is something that trends into a longer-term deal, Mm -hmm. um, then maybe it's something to think about. Um, There's all kinds of, you know, there's, hell, Toronto had the worst power play in the league last year. Now they got the best. Right. Like, things change, and one year doesn't make a trend. I will say this, you you know, for people that choose to defend Dennis Weidman on this play, Don Henderson hasn't worked since that day. Yeah, yeah, neck injuries, right? Like he's got a disc disc problem or something, right? Yeah, like yep. so, I, I, I have a really difficult time having much sympathy for any protestations that mm-hmm. that Weidman would have to this. As for the officials getting back at the Flames, I just, I just can't, I can't buy it. I. I guess it's, in theory it's possible, but yeah, so they've got more penalties this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Take less hooking penalties, I guess. <laughs> I, you know, that would be my initial thought to it. That's why I didn't want to bring it up, because you'd be like, yeah, so they're taking more penalties. Big deal. But did you ever feel like refs had biases on the ice? Like, I don't know if you had particular refs that you didn't get along with, but, I mean, they're human just like well, all of us. It's inevitable, Steve. I mean, yeah. everybody's human. Right. There are certain refs. I never got along with. Like, I never got along with Paul Stewart, and he would tell you that I was mouthy and disrespectful to him. We just never, ever, ever got along on the ice. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that he called penalties on me that I didn't deserve. And I don't think he let other guys get away with penalties against me Mm -hmm. because he might not have particularly cared for me. Like, I never felt that. Yeah, okay. And I had really good rapport with some guys. And I never felt that they gave me a break because we got along. Like, their job is to be an, an unbiased observer, an arbiter of a game, must be a really difficult place to be. Mm-hmm. Because there are certain guys you just don't like. And that's just the way it is in society, and the workplace is no different. Yep. But, to, but to have to take a look at it and take the face off the player, basically... Um, must be a really difficult thing. Yeah, like Kerry Fraser really wanted the Kings in the Cup in '93, so the high oh, stick, the high stick didn't get called. We all know that. He, it, I'll tell you one thing. You may say that there's nobody that has felt worse about that than Kerry Fraser. He's mentioned it a hundred times. <laughs> he he that has. If he could take a call back in his career, it would be that one. He just missed it. I don't uh, know how he did, yeah. but he did. Uh, something that came up. Game oh. seven at home, by the way. They did, yeah, they did. And and Gretzky banked the a hundred percent chance that Gretzky banked the one of the goals off Ellis skate, and it's, you're just like, what are you gonna do? Guys, behind three the, goals at that point, you know, like, oops. Now that for that, I blame Bob McKenzie because he wrote that uh, Gretzky was playing like he had a piano on his back. So that's who I blame for that game. So well, first, that's fine. first it's Kerry Fraser, then it's Bob McKenzie. So, um, hey, well, before we get to Timu. 
the RFA deals for uh, Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. Matthews not for another year or so. McDavid's going to co- be able to extend it, I think, this summer, right? They're going to be able to to approach yeah, they him. Yeah, get to McDavid this summer. Right. Okay, so the cap is flat for a number of years now. Uh, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, ten million a year, ten five, I think, is what their number is. And again, you just pay Connor McDavid whatever he wants. But does it surpass the ten? Does it? We've never yeah, seen a player. It's wait, hold on one second. Oh, one more point. We've never seen an NHL player, and I forget what the percentage is, right? But they can max out at a certain number of the cap, right? That's twenty percent. Okay. The NA, because you guys, hockey players, are all the way about the team, there's nev- never been a player that said, hey, I want the full pay that I'm worth. And if there's anybody who's worth it, it's Connor McDavid. So where does this the go? The problem is, so you pay McDavid whatever, yeah. right? right. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. Pick a number, put it up there. <laughs> You're basically pushing a blank piece of paper to him yes, and saying, write down whatever number you want times eight. Right. And send it back to me. <laughs> and we'll sign um, it, right. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll get it done. Right. The problem with that is, you know, Dreisaitl's sitting in line right behind him. Now, you, Dreisaitl's got 55 points. Mm-hmm. So not that he's going to make Connor McDavid money. Not, I mean, that's not realistic. But you run into a full-stop dead end on the salary cap at a certain point. I don't think there's any question they're going to probably have to move not one but both of Nugent Hopkins and Everly because you need the cap space. So let's assume that those guys now, and it might not be this summer; it might be a summer out when McDavid's new deal takes effect because the new deal won't take a, sorry won't take effect this summer. Right. You can sign them to it, but it takes effect in July of 2018. Dreisaitl's takes effect in July of, right. of this year. This should have 17, yep. Of 17. So eventually there's just no more, there's no more room to put any, any beans in the jar. That's it. You're full. And so you have to prioritize, which is what Chicago did. Remember when they won the Cup and a month later they traded Brandon Sod? Mm-hmm. Like they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to trade Bufflin back at the time, back in the day, yep. but they had to do that. They didn't want to trade Lad. Andrew Ladd. That's what a salary cap does. And Edmonton, even before they get to the playoffs, are already, for the first time in 11 years, by the way, mm-hmm. are already having to plot out how are we going to save the roster <laughs> right. as, as best as we can. And so they're, you know, I mean, they're constantly reworking things and, you know, can we do without this player? If we get, but we can't take money back or much money back. Mm-hmm. And if we don't take much money back, how much worse are we going to be? How are we going to, yeah? How are we going to be competitive? But I, I, I don't know, Ray. Like, I'm if I'm Connor McDavid's agent, and I, it's Bobby Orr Group. I forget who his actual specific agent is. Yeah. Um, I I say just I want the max. I know. I feel figure it out. Figure out how to build your team. I deserve the max, and we all agree he does. It's a no brainer. He sells jerseys. He sells tickets. Everything else, I find it fascinating that in the NFL, players will grab the max. In basketball, the, the basketball's got a soft cap, but they'll grab the max. And then hockey guys are like, no, no, I don't want the max. And if there's anybody worth it, it's Connor McDavid. And I, well, think- I, I don't think there's any debate about that. But if you pay Connor McDavid $14.5 million, 
which is roughly the 20% of the cap. Now you've got to build an entire roster with 80% of a $73 million cap. I know, but that's, that's, not Connor's, that's not Connor's problem, right? Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> not Connor's problem. The NFL has a salary cap of $17 billion. <laughs> right. Like, I don't even know what yeah, the number yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not applicable, really. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not apples to apples. So the decision that McDavid will have to make, can you imagine making this, this, this decision at 21 years old? <laughs> yeah. Okay, we can only pay you $96 million. <laughs> right, right. For the next eight years, as opposed to $112 million. I'm telling you, though, I go for the max. I say, ah, I'm worth it, and I don't care. Well, Figure it out. Build the team yeah. around me. Or do you start to, with the Cates Entertainment Group, mm-hmm. start to do deals, uh, endorsement deals worth 10 or $15 million? Yeah. yeah, that could be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, like, here's the thing that, that I think that players think about. I mean, I, I assume they think about it anyway. If you're, if the difference is between one point seven and two million dollars, man, take two million every time. Mm-hmm. If the difference is between twelve and fourteen million dollars, yeah, you're really talking about after taxes somewhere around a million dollars a year. That's eight million dollars over the course of your contract. Yeah, no, I know. If your team, yeah. if your team can't win because of that extra money that you take. That's a pretty dreary time. Players want to win too. Yeah, and you're still making twelve million bucks a year. I think that's the the mindset. I mean, I never had to make that decision. Right. I, I don't. You know, I. You wish. I can't even really, Steve. I can't even really get my head around <laughs> trying to make that decision because it's not selfish in the least to take the max. No, no, it's not. It's really not. Yeah, I, that's what I mean. I find it fascinating. But the hockey do you players. Want to win? Yeah. Do you want to win? And if saving that extra two and a half million, if that's what the number is, helps you win, are you willing to forego that that they can yeah. get other players into play? Well, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I don't. This may come as a shock to you. I'm not a professional athlete, so. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, you have sat in the rooms of teams that have lost repeatedly, and yep. so you would know that it's not fun. It sucks, right? So. Winning is fun. Um, all right, let's. Uh, speaking of winning, uh, winning at life, 684 goal man, Timu Solani. Let's bring him in and uh, talk to him about. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm going to talk to him about Supercross right first. So just going to. Yeah, warn you should you. because I don't understand it. <laughs> all right, let's bring. Uh, let's bring Timu Solani in. And as promised, here he is, uh, the Finnish Flash, 684 goals in the National Hockey League, and uh, now a fan of uh, Supercross and Motocross, which is what I was telling you, Ray, and now I'm excited to have him on. Uh, he is Timu Solani. Timu, what's up? Thank you for doing the uh, Ray Ferraro podcast. Anytime, boys. Um, first of all, Timu, what, uh, I've been seeing you around the Supercross races. You've been riding with some of my buddies at Troy Lee and KTM and everything else. And I've always—I've always known that you—you know—you're into fast cars, you're into racing, rally driving. How's the dirt biking going? You know, it's so much fun, and obviously, you know, I've always liked that. But uh, while I was playing hockey, you know, I couldn't really do that uh, thing that we consider that as a dangerous, uh, dangerous hobby. So, uh, but now when I'm not playing anymore, I can start doing the stuff what I always wanted to do, and uh, 
I have so much respect for those drivers, and it looks so much fun. And I have been going a couple of times in the trails mm-hmm. with the Troy Lee and those guys, and uh, I really enjoy it. And as uh, long as I keep my, you know, to keep stay st- uh, smart and not to do crazy stuff, you know, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> hey, I, hey, I was impressed. You rode around the Supercross track at Anaheim, and so you know those jumps those guys are taking. Like, they're not, they're no joke. And you rode around the track. You know, that was scary. I, I, you know, people have no idea how hard that track is and how steep those, uh, uh, those uh, jumps are. And if you don't jump, you, don't, you can't even go over those humps. So it's, uh, it's, those guys are unbelievable. Their studs and, uh, like, uh, when you see it, it looks so easy when they jump and they're mm-hmm. so good drivers. But when I see that in the, so close, you know, I have more respect for those guys for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad. Hard, sorry, Steve. Hey, I just thought of something. Tamo, is that hard on your like? Is it hard on your knees and back when you're jumping all over that stuff? It is. It is. I think yeah, you, your body has to get used to it, those things, and I, that's why I don't. I try not to jump because you know it's. Uh, you don't want to get hurt. You know, <laughs> I just survived a long NHL career, and uh, I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> By doing something else, you know. Oh, that, that, that's awesome! No, it's good to have you around. And uh, and Ray, certainly, uh, Ray, you played against Timu a ton. And uh, what we got for him today? Well, I I think the first thing Timu I want to ask is like we us old guys we watch the games today and the guys are so fast and they're so skilled. Yet there doesn't seem to be as much offense. There doesn't seem to be as much. Uh, as many times for players to make a play. Do you see that when you watch? And does it look better or just different than when we used to play? I, I think it's a little different. I think the whole mindset have changed a little bit. And, uh, you know, in the in the old days when I came in the league, it was so much more, uh, you know, offense and uh, up and down hockey. And uh, the mindset was almost like whoever's going to score more goals is going to win. Now I think it's opposite, and you know, they, a lot of teams. The first two lines can pretty much do what they want, long as they are quite smart. But uh, bottom lines, they they can't do any mistakes. They 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 don't want to lose the pucks in the blue lines, and they they have to put the puck in if there's nothing. So it is a little different. But I think the biggest difference is that the, how the guys are blocking their shots these days. It, those guys are crazy. They they uh, <laughs> they know how to do it, but they are willing to jump uh, from the puck like when guys are shooting 100 miles per hour. And it, these days, if you want to put the puck to the net from the blue line, you know, it's so much harder than it used to be. I want to say I blocked on purpose like three shots in 18 years. <laughs> you know, I try to you think you blocked uh, avoid on those blocks. I really tried to avoid. And one time, I even gave my maybe like a ten feet lane to shoot, and the guy missed a shot and hit my my uh, my hand. I broke my hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so that was when you, when you came to Winnipeg. What did you know about the NHL um, at that time? Well, obviously, that time we didn't we didn't see so many games uh, from back home, uh, but obviously. Uh, I had a chance to come to the training camp uh, once, and uh, you know, and then uh, I came a couple of times to watch the watch the games and playoffs, and uh, you know, I knew it's uh, it's a tough league and it's something what you have to be ready and prepared when you come. But uh, uh, still, I didn't know how tough it is to uh, to be a hockey player and how much it takes to you know 
um, how much traveling and the whole package is, is it's so tough. You play so often, you're never hundred percent. You're always tired. You're always really hurt. So and still able to play well even the days when you don't feel good. That was a big challenge. And uh, uh, but the traveling and the whole package really surprised me though. Couldn't have been that hard. You got 76 goals your first year. <laughs> well, you know, I was actually surprised too, but uh, I was just so excited. And, I, you know, I was I was lucky too that I was able to play with the great players right away, first power play. And, and uh, you know, and I always think about if I would go the team that, you know, I would go third or fourth line, you know, it, it would be a different story. You know, I just, I was so lucky, you know, and so thankful for how everything turned out. Now, when you came, of course, you made this connection in Winnipeg because of your style and the way that you could score. And, you know, every, everybody around the league quickly learned about the way you played. Now in Winnipeg, they've got another Finnish guy, and he's got a huge personality in Patrick Lyonet, and he shoots the puck like I can only think of Mike Bossy that shoots it like he does. What, what's, your, what's your thought, and when did you first see uh, Lyonet play? You know, I saw him first time playing in the World Juniors uh, last year, actually. And, uh, you know, I've been waiting this long time uh, that we're going to produce the guy who's a big, strong, uh, and a special personality and uh, just like a new superstar. Because we don't, we haven't had those for a long, long time from Finland. And now we finally we have that. And, you know, he, he shot is one thing like he's it's mm-hmm. so hard and accurate but the way he's so smart player too he's not just gliding fast but he's uh, he's, he's sneaky fast he's like a mario mario lemieux a little bit but but the way he's so smart you know like he doesn't go where the puck is he's, he finds those open open spots so well and uh he's also playing with the great players who can see where he, where he's gonna be when he gets open so uh He's a very special player, and it's fun. it has been fun to watch. Now, the, the Finns are really in a, a great spot right now. It seems like they've developed so many really good young players. Um, you know, at the, at the junior tournament, they, you know, you mentioned with, with Lion A, they had Yessi Puya Yarvi, they had Sebastian Ajo. Um, why is, or is it just the way it is, that right now there's so many good Finnish players coming up through junior and into the early parts of their career? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a good question because I think the early, early 2000, you know, uh, uh, there was a program that, you know, uh, the Finnish uh, uh, hockey program pretty much, they were just expecting the same kind of players, you know, hardworking guys and a lot of, te- like, how you play as a team and, and, uh, and the system-wise. And I think we totally forgot the indi- individual skills. And then same time, the Swedish players, they, they start this program with everything starts with individual skills and, uh, and confidence and, uh, and, and how, you be, uh, how you become great, a great player. And, and then you start talking about the team things. And I think, you know, that we really woke up because the Swedish players and we start the same program that, that everything starts with uh, your, your own, own skills and, uh, and then... Later, you start uh, thinking about the team, team thing and how you're going to help the team. And I think that's the one thing why we have so many great hockey players for Finland, young young players, and um, uh, very proud proud of what we have done for for the last 
seven, eight years, you know, I, for sure we are in the right track, and, and which is also great that the, a lot of old players who are done, they stayed in the game and they want to make a difference and help those younger players. It's, uh, it's, it has been great. Now, Timo, there's, uh, there, you've mentioned the older players staying in the game, coaching, and, you know, and Jarmo Kekalainen is the general manager in Columbus. Would it be, could it happen that a Finnish coach could coach here again in the National Hockey League and have success? Or is the, the system and the lifestyle just really different? No, I think, you know, I know for a fact that the Finnish coach would do, uh, would do great here. Obviously, the only thing is it's it's so hard to get in the bubble. You know, it's uh, you know the way how things work in NHL. You have to have a good connection, some good uh, good friends somewhere to find to to even get the chance. You know, and uh, that's like yeah, when Yarmo came over. First of all, it's 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 great that we have a one Finnish GM in the league, but it takes a it takes long process. And he came a long long time ago, and he wanted to have a career here. Little by little, he started knowing the people, and and then you know, one day he's gonna be in GM. So I think it it takes that you know the Finnish coaches they have to come over, they have to create some relationship with the with the hockey people here. That's the only way to get get here. But uh, you know. Finnish coaches, they, they have a lot of good uh, good things and uh, and a lot of passion, and they have a little different way to look the, how the hockey works. And uh, and it would be great that you know if somebody would come over and start as assistant coach and and learn how the things work here, and then one day become to the head coach. I think that would be a good uh, good mix that uh, you could uh, take the best things from the European hockey and then best things here. So I think that will be a good combination. So of your 680-whatever goals that you had, four. Um, do you have some favorites? <laughs> do you, I mean, we all know the one you threw the glove up in the air when you broke the goal record. And, um, you know, and, and my vision of you is just powerful down the wing where you blow away from everybody in that stick that was illegal, by the way, because the blade was too thick. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was the guy illegal for the, for the player, but not goalie. <laughs> <laughs> I would, Timo, I remember the first time I saw that stick, and I just stared at it <laughs> on the ice, and I'm like, look how fat the blade is. You're like, I couldn't believe it. You're like, does anybody else see this? Does anybody else see this stick? <laughs> like, it's not a eagle, but of course nobody would ever call it. And you just you looked at it, and I'm like, it's like a boat paddle. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It was uh, you know it, it, I was I got so frustrated. Like a lot of places, like you know that when you go play, the ice is not perfect. You know, mm-hmm. so I I just I, I got so frustrated when I got a great pass and the puck bounced over my stick, and I said, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna build a really wide stick. And it's almost like it's not quite a big of a goalie stick, but very close. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of but a lot of players like the light sticks, and and I never my shot was never hard, so it didn't really bother me if it if, if my blade was uh, uh, heavy. But uh, I always remember when we, play, we played against Phoenix and Curtis Joseph was uh, in, the, in the net, and I was front of the net and. And he said, Timo, if I broke my stick, can I borrow one of yours? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was pretty funny. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was a big advantage for me that I had a little bigger place. Well, I would say the two sticks that I, re- you know, I, that I remember 
as I said, staring at were yours and Michael Nylander's. And Michael Nylander's had this funny toe curve that went back the other way. And I'm like, I wonder how everybody uses these sticks. Like, I guess it's just what you like, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, and if you look like a guy like Al McKinnis and uh, now Ovechkin, you know, like the curves are so big and I don't know how they can play with that. But I guess, you know, like whatever works, you know, it's... uh, Every player is a little different, and uh, and uh, uh, same thing with comes with preparation. You know, you know that when you play, there's a lot of guys that they do weird, weird things to get ready for the games. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I always laughed, and, but I said, you know what? If this works, that's fine. You know, so right. uh, so obviously, like like I said, I, if you feel comfortable with something, just go for it. Timu, I always uh, I always love the Hockey Hall of Fame debates and uh, uh, bench uh, you know bench racing or bench talking with my buddies about it and uh, debating it, reading the columns. And one guy that's that's kind of I don't hear a lot about him, but you and Paul Correa uh, made some magic together. And Paul was a phenomenal player, as both of you can attest to. His points per game is great. Obviously, his career was shortened with concussions, but. I almost feel like, like in a Cam Neely sense, or 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 one of these other guys, Pavel Bure, Paul Correa should get a better look for the Hall of Fame. I think so too. You know what? Obviously, it's just kind of shame that how his career ended, and he's very bitter about that. He always thought that the NHL was not looking after the players the way they should, and so that's why you know he doesn't want to be involved with hockey at all and he almost kind of like disappeared you know yeah he really has from, yeah. from the hockey world and which is very sad and uh, because you know uh, what he has done for hockey and especially here in Anaheim and California it, it's it's unbelievable and like you said he was an unbelievable hockey player you know and I had a great time with him and it, it, it hurts me that you know like he doesn't want to be part of uh, hockey because I think he has a lot of to offer and give for the for hockey and hopefully one day he will come back for some reason. I know the Ducks, they have really tried hard to uh, get him back and mm. the programs and stuff, but uh, you know, he's uh, he's just surfing and enjoy the life, but very bitter about hockey, which is which is yeah. that. It really, I mean, when you two guys were together, it was it was so dynamic and so fast, and um, it's a shame that Paul's not involved somewhere in the game. He had he would have so much to give to the game. I I believe, just the way. And, he... and, the, and the thing, like yeah, like, he has so he has so much passion for hockey. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, we all had something else than hockey. But this guy, like whatever he did, he did perfectly, and uh, that's why, like, he would be, have so much to offer for hockey. And uh, and uh, you know, I was very lucky that I have able to play with him for so many years that uh, not very often you find the chemistry with two players like what we did, you know. We, mm-hmm. we were thinking the hockey same way and uh, and we both had a key thing to use the speed and we both tried to push ourselves so it's, like, it's a great memories with him. Yeah, Ray, I imagine, yeah. Ray, Ray if, if, if you're the opposing player and they're like, hey, Ray, uh, you're up against Korea tonight. Good luck trying never, to stay with never them. Happened. <laughs> never happened. Never happened. I used to watch them play all the time. And you know what? Now when you see that, watch everybody chase you around. Right. 
Now when I watch the three-on-three hockey in overtime, I always think oh. about that. Jeez, if me and Paul would be still playing, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's oh, a good You guys would have been a breakaway machine, <laughs> except you both would have been up by the red line. <laughs> <laughs> so, Timo, how's retirement? Everything good? You know what? I have been enjoying every day. You know, it's... I, I'm joking to my friends that if I would know how much fun this is, I would probably retire a couple of years earlier. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. Obviously, 30 plus years with the schedule and a very disciplined life, uh, where the focus and, and lifestyle uh, is only for hockey. And people have, who doesn't play, they don't know how how disciplined lifestyle you have to have if you want to have a long career in NHL. So now. I, I'm very active. I play golf. I go. I play tennis. I go ski. I I try to do the things that I love to do, and and every day has been awesome. I really enjoy it. Last question for me, Timu. Uh, the Heritage Classic back in my hometown of Winnipeg, and uh, if you weren't around in Winnipeg when you broke in, there's all there's a bond that you have with the people from Winnipeg. You only played there, you know, three and a half years, but. Um, I love the fact, you know, when you first came back, when they got the team back and you came back with the Ducks and, and the, the, the ovation you got. And it's a special bond, like I said, for people who don't understand, it really is special. And you coming back to the Heritage Classic, man, that, that was amazing. And um, just talk about that, I guess. It was great to have you back in and the fans, they could not. It was basically, Ray, it was Timu Fest. The whole thing was Timu Fest. Um, it was amazing. Yeah, you know what? It's the Winnipeg has always been like a, another home for me. And uh, since day one, I showed up in Winnipeg. The, the people, first of all, they're so friendly. There's a reason why they call it friendly Manitoba. Mm-hmm. The people are super nice. And and when you realize like how big impact the hockey players give for the people there, it, it, it's unbelievable. And uh, you know, obviously, I've always liked people. I I've always had a very special relationship with the fans, and, and the Winnipeg just—they they just were so good to me. And uh, every time when I have been coming back there, they just feel—they just make me feel so special. And uh, obviously, I want to be very good for them too. And uh, it's a happy place for me for sure. Yeah, it was great to have you back. Uh, I don't know if you watched it, Ray, but Timu was probably – what were you, Timu? Were you taking it pretty easy? You were going about half speed there because it looked like you could have skated by anybody at any time. You really did. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, like uh, it was only a couple of years and I, I, since I retired. Right, right. Yeah, a lot of, lot of people, uh, you know, they don't skate very fast. So I felt that, you know – even trying too hard, it would be embarrassing. So yeah, yeah, no, I liked it. You could tell. Hey, yeah, but it was it was great. Timu, before we let you go, do you know that Ray has never been invited back for an alumni game for any of his organizations? <laughs> do you know that? Really? Oh, we have to fix that. <laughs> he is he is a Winnipeg maybe, Jet. Maybe you know? there's hey, maybe there's a reason, Timu, that nobody invites you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, don't underestimate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, Timu Solani, uh, thank you for your time on the uh, Ray Ferraro uh, Paul Pocky podcast. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Guys, anytime. All the best. All the best, Timu. Take care, eh? Yes, thank you.
Cool. All right. Thanks to Timu for coming on and uh, and a chink for me that I got him on the show. That's fantastic. Good job by me. Uh, Ray, interesting the Paul Korea talk, huh? Like they t- the Ducks have tried to bring him back in. He he doesn't. He's bitter a bit of hockey. I, I thought that was pretty revealing. Yeah, it really is because um, you know those of us that you know had a chance to play against Paul knew. Um, of his dedication to the game, of how detailed he was to perform, um, how good he was, how dynamic he was, and and then he's just you know he's just disappeared from the hockey scene. I think it's you know for the rest of us it's sad to hear that he's bitter right. um, at the way that he was treated um, is disappointing, and I feel bad for him because you won't run into anybody that says Paul Korea is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. You, you just won't. And it's a and it's a shame that he feels like that. I I hope there's you know I hope there's something that really spurs him in his day to day because I I I think he could be an asset to the game. But you can't make somebody want to like something anymore. I I just I I feel bad to hear about it. Yeah, hopefully he gets his he changes his mind, comes around, gets his day in the sun. You know, jersey honored, crowd at center ice and everything else because he was a great 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 player. And uh, and off the ice, he seemed like a great guy. So yeah, hopefully that changes. Um, uh, what about the uh, what about the? My, I think my favorite story was Curtis Joseph. <laughs> I never really realized that about his stick, right? I didn't. I, oh I never noticed. It, it, I, on, honestly, it was like a boat oar. <laughs> the thing was, it was enormous, and we all knew it was illegal. Just well, that's what I find funny. Called. Like everyone knew it was illegal, but none of you were like, ah, team was a good guy. <laughs> like you couldn't. He'd come out on the ice, and he'd, you know he'd put that thing down on the ice, and you couldn't help but notice it. <laughs> and now I'm going to have to look at photos of that and Neilander stick, Michael Neilander. Le- Le- Michael Neilander stick was yeah. it was the most ridiculous looking stick on the planet. It really was. Um, would it be a case of Timu would change his stick for the third, or no? He honestly wouldn't even care that much to change it for the third. <laughs> He would have he would have had to cut a third of it off. <laughs> like it would have been ridiculous had he come out with a regular size yeah. stick for the third period. Like uh, it would have been so noticeable. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been like if he would have changed his hair color for the third period. Right, right. Come out with one arm. <laughs> yeah, like uh, hey, wow, that looks different. Uh, interesting though that uh, my hometown Winnipeg, like all those years ago, Timu captivated everybody. Him and Housley were, were were magic together on the ice. So smash cut. Fifteen years later, twenty years later, the city of Winnipeg, a young Finnish guy comes in. Uh, personality, like you said, shot, amazing shot. He's uh, going to get second in the rookie of the year behind the Austin Matthews and. Um, Phenomenal! Like I, I threw that in there for all the Winnipeg fans, yeah, but um, no. But isn't that really? I don't think ironic is the word. Um, maybe it's a, the word. Just another Finnish guy is taking over Winnipeg, just like Timu did. It, it really is pretty cool that yeah. You know, that, like one of the there's two real um, similarities. Of course, is one is their ability to score um, because you know they're. They're, they're special players in the way that they're able to to put pucks past goals. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two is their personalities. Because I, I think, you know, as Lion A learns the English language a little more and becomes more comfortable, mm-hmm. we're going to see alre- we're going to see more of what we've already seen a little bit. And that's I think he gets the absurdity of the game 
the absurdity of the day-to-day of it. And I think there's a really funny kid that is that is going to emerge out of that. And when you think of Timo and, you know, the, the way that through his career you watch him do an interview, he was always, like, energetic in the interviews. He never really mailed anything in. And, mm-hmm. and, and my hope is that's what Line A is going to be like, too, because the more personality there is in the game, the better it is. I think so, because he even made a joke about him. Remember he shot into his own net top corner? Um, he even made a joke about it, which tells me, you know, he gets it. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's so hard for these kids. I mean, every time they turn around, somebody's got a mic in their face. Not in Toronto, mind you, because they don't let the first-year players do interviews. Mm-hmm. Only selected days can you do them. They can't talk on game days. And yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, Thank you, I don't agree right. with that right. in the least. But Laine's out there, and, you know, somebody falls down at the rink and they ask him about it. You know, like, he yeah. gets asked everything all the yeah. time. And, and I think he's just got a, a, an awesome way about him. And I know Matthews has this has a very funny side to him. He's just not going to let it come out. I, 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 yeah, I've never seen anything from him. Again, no interviews. So, and I'm not on the inside like you are. He seems ultra serious. Well, if you think about it, how many times do you see Sidney Crosby laugh during an interview? Yep, good point. Yep. And if you talk to Sid away from the rink or away from the cameras, it's a completely different guy. Oh, is he really? Okay, yeah. My, oh, yeah. my opinion of Sydney is just, yeah, robotic. Just, yeah, he's got a greasy hat on, and he's got it pulled down. Well, I'll give you an you example. Know? Last year in the playoffs, uh, remember, um, I don't know what game it was, Logan Couture made a big deal that Crosby cheats on face-offs. Yeah. And so in the off day, they were practicing, and he was coming off the ice right where I was standing, and I, and I, made, you know, I made a comment about, uh, man, you're such a cheater. <laughs> and he stopped, and he laughed, and... We talked, and you know, some other guys came around, and he's like, he's incredibly engaging, and he finds he finds that you know, like yeah. lots of stuff funny that you would never know, yep. because when he does his interview, it's like, you know, we got to play well, we're going to do our job, we're going to, you know, like P- whatever it is, pucks in deep, right? Yeah, they don't give up anything, and and in a way, it's kind of sad because there's far more personality to the guys than than a lot of them let on. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why, like, a Brent Burns, the media just freaks out over him for acting like a normal dude. Or Joe Thornton. Although, I don't know if <laughs> yeah. Brent Burns is a normal guy. Joe Thornton with his shirt off in Pittsburgh. That, when he's walking around, his jeans <laughs> with no shirt. Like, that's just phenomenal. How about him, by the way? A thousand assists. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, that is... Um, that is just an amazing, amazing accomplishment, and I can hardly wait to see what he wears to his Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, yeah, um, amazing his goal drought this year. He's got one goal in a, with a goalie in it. I, I think it's two. Maybe it's two now. But man, I don't know what's happened well, with Jumbo it's Joe's. Not very many, and yeah. I don't quite get it. Right, and. I, I want to say, I don't know how many he's got now, but I think he had 62 shots after 59 games. Yeah, right, exactly. So what do you expect to do, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, like, you're, I, he could shoot it better than that. He just, <laughs> I don't know, chooses not to, I guess. Right. Honestly, I don't, I'm not a fan of Lou's policies with the, uh, with the rookies and, and, and the facial hair. And I think even for a while there was no, no high numbers on rookies in Jersey and this and that. Um, but I, I'm, I'm fully in support of Lou. If he if he was GM of San Jose to get those beards cut, I'm fully in support of that. Like I don't know what those guys are doing. Like it doesn't. I'm with you. I just yeah. I, I think 
I think it looks brutal. It's just terrible. And like, I, and you know what I don't get is like they're married. How are they? Yeah, yeah. Wives are uh, just cool with this. Like, <laughs> they must look at them, oh, honey, you look hot. Yeah, I like, seriously. Maybe we're too old, Ray. I don't know, but I'm just like that's disgusting. You look like a circus freak. You know? Yeah, I just at some point doesn't it? I don't know. I yeah. mean, I've had a beard, and I, you know, and like at some point, is it not like gross? <laughs> I'm with you, man. I I I don't get it, and so I'm not a fan of loose policies except for that one. Um, all right, let's wrap this thing up with some questions from the fans. Uh, from Luke Whitney, this is the TSN Ray Ferraro uh, Paul Pocky podcast. Um, from Luke Whitney, uh, love the podcast. My question is to Ray when he was playing on my beloved Whalers. When Ray was a part of the team, could he tell back then that so many had a mind for the game and would go into coaching Dave Tippett, etc. Quenville is another guy, uh, Deneen, uh, guys that you play with. Long live the Brass Bonanza, Lucas Whitney. Well, I don't. I don't think anybody really thought of it that way. Um, I mean, you're just playing. You're just, you know, you're in the in the moment or in the time frame that you're. We were all together in Hartford, and um, I knew that a few guys would be in management for sure. Like I, I knew Dave Tippett was going to be a coach. I knew Ron Francis would be a manager. Like that just really that yeah. just seemed. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it just seemed like the way it was going to be. You know, Tippy was always a really, really sharp guy. Um, I never saw Joel as a coach. You know, I just thought Joel as a defenseman. You know, I never even really thought of it. And now he's going to be a Hall of Fame coach. Yep. You know, but that team, uh, just an incredible amount of players that went into coaching uh, when they retired. Uh, you know, from Quenville to Brad Shaw's an assistant in Columbus, yep. Dean Evison, who runs the farm team in in uh, Milwaukee in the American League. Um, Steve Weeks was one of our goaltenders. Uh, he coached for years. Mike Leutz has been a high-powered agent uh, for a long time. Dave Babich has been in player development with the Canucks. Uh, Tippett's been in Dallas and Arizona uh, for you know seemingly for forever. Um, I would say there was ten to fifteen guys that are in coaching or management uh, from that from those teams. Yeah, yeah, interesting, right? Um, speaking of that, question for you, Ray, from Ryan on Twitter. This question again, Ray, what would it take to get you into Canucks management? Again, you get you get that all the time. Uh, yeah, I, uh, well, an interview would be a start. <laughs> right. um, you know, I, I've never really pursued it. As much as I would like it, I, I think I would really like to be involved in the tactics and strategy of building a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I have a, a pretty good feel for it, but I've, I've not really pursued it. And the reason I haven't, I would say twofold. One is I really like what I do. And two, um, you know, when I retired, um, I, I was divorced and uh, had two teenage sons who were 13 and 10 at the time. Then I got remarried, and now I've got a 10 and a 7-year-old. And the the family complications are um, it, have always pulled me back from pursuing that. Yeah. Plus, like, but I would love it. I would love to be involved. I really would. You'd almost want to be involved to me, and if you're in a Canadian market as as a director of player personnel instead of the GM, the GMs nowadays twenty four seven media guys like you, Ray, around it. Although you're not in that role, but man, these guys just yeah, scrutiny I, is crazy. You know, I I think 
I think though, Steve, um, like the director of player personnel is a is a different job. It's a step removed from actually building the team. You're more like helping shape the roster, like the organizational roster. And whether it says, you know, for me it would be, you know, at, at my age, and you know, I'm not naive enough to think I could be a general manager today and and understand how to run a whole team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd I'd love to be an assistant general manager. I know I could do that. Um, but as Tamo talked about, uh, you got to get inside the bubble. Yep. And uh, you know he mentioned that with Finnish coaches, you got to get inside the bubble. You've got to have somebody that's willing uh, to give you the opportunity, willing to to trust your judgment. One thing I was going to throw in there with Timu was uh, don't forget about Alpo Sumanen. Sumanen, uh, he's one assistant. Suhonen, assistant coach with the Jets and I think the Blackhawks. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That uh, was that was a different lifetime ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, well, Don Cherry calling him names. Yeah. Just uh, uh, Kevin Murray says uh, as a Wheat King alum, thoughts on Reed Duke becoming the first member of Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, good signed. for him. Yeah. He'll be a trivia answer for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, everybody got all stoked up when they said, you know, Vegas is open for business. The, the issue with that is they can't trade or sign any players that are under current contracts. So the only business they can do would be to sign free agents, and Duke is, is one of them. Mm-hmm. Been through, you know, was returned out of the draft. He was drafted by Minnesota. The connection really is that he's had good years, but Kelly McCrimmon owns the team in Brandon. Yep. Kelly McCrimmon's the assistant general manager in Vegas, and so he would have really good intel on, um, on this player. And so what an opportunity for him to, you know, not just be the first player because there's going to be lots of players yeah. by the time you know June rolls around, but to be a, a young player with a chance to fight your way up an organizational chain that has, as of this moment, no one in front of you. Yeah, exactly. I saw the lines for Vegas. His guy, guy, and then uh, um, yeah. <laughs> it was guy, guy, Duke, guy, guy, guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and well, also too the McCrimmon, um, you know, having an ally in the front office is always good, right? Um, never, never hurts. Never hurts. Uh, from Owen says, who do you see? Do you, who, wondering if you see the Wild being able to come out of the Central. Right now, the best race in the NHL might be the Minnesota Wild and Chicago Blackhawks uh, for the division lead. Yeah, I, I think they can win. I do. I, uh, I, I think at some point uh, Chicago's going to step back from this crazy winning streak that they're on, but maybe not because that's what Minnesota did for six weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I, don't, I don't see either team jumping way ahead of the other and, you know, and, and making that race obsolete. I, uh, there's, this, is, this is one that will go down, I think, into the last week or ten days, but I, I do think Minnesota can, can win that division. Two games in hand, one point ahead right now. So Yeah. Um, did you ever get a ch- Matthew says, did you ever get a chance to chirp the O-Dog when you played? I don't remember it. O says I did. Um, <laughs> said his first uh, first year there was a scrum or something or other, and you know Jeff's got kind of you know got a round face, yeah. a little rounder now perhaps, but um, uh, apparently we were in the in the scrum and I turned to him and puffed out my cheeks at him <laughs> like he, you know. And, yeah, and he yeah. goes. I was. He goes. I was eighteen. I was thin then, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't. I don't remember it. But oh, yeah, I probably did. 
last one from uh, from Michael uh, msol 21 who is the top coaching candidate available for a rebuilding team? Uh, maybe not so much the rebuilding team, Ray, but right now, I mean, you've, you've talked about Travis Green before. Who's the top candidate um, that you know for a rebuilding team? Well, I, I guess it depends what you want to look for. Do you want a yeah. coach that can grow with the younger players, or do you want a older guy that's been there before? Um, you know, so the guys that are out of NHL jobs now, the guys that were fired this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would say Gerard Gallant would be near the top of that list. Um, you've got Hitchcock, who's an older guy, who would be a shorter-term solution. You've got Jack Capuano uh, and Kevin Deneen. Deneen's the assistant to Joel Quenville, was a head coach in Florida when they won a division championship. Those are the experienced guys. But would you look at a guy like... Kirk Muller in Montreal or Bradshaw in Columbus. They were the assistants in St. Louis, and they left um, prior to this year. So those would be a couple of guys that you would you would think about as well um, that are currently in the NHL scope. Uh, as far as guys in the American League, you know, I, I, I can't say that I profess enough knowledge about that. Mm-hmm. I know there's a couple of college coaches uh, that are really highly thought of. Um, David Quinn is one of them. I don't think Quinn will be out of the NHL uh, very long. He's at Boston at BU, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think um, I don't think he'll be out of the NHL very long. What about your brother-in-law, Tony Granado? I think Tony has landed in his in his dream job. I don't okay. know this for a fact, yep. I, you know, but um, he's coached in the NHL for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's at the University of Wisconsin. Is Wisconsin? He's coaching with his brother Don, who um, they are best of friends. And the next of the amigos is Marco Siki, who is the third coach on the staff. Yep. You know, the three of them run it as kind of like. It's almost like one brain yeah, that yeah. runs the staff. They're like the the best of friends. I. I just I think it's their dream spot. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Ray, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing the show again. Appreciate you showing up for another week. Um, thanks to Timu Solani and my job of getting Timu on the podcast. Yeah. Don't think you're done for the year. Get on it again. <laughs> Who can I get? You want to you want to get a Supercross racer? No problem. <laughs> yeah. I got an issue with that because I'm out after one question. The, the the funny thing was was all these racers, you know, Timu was was paraded around the pits, and like I said, he he met a bunch of the top guys, and and everyone came to me. Hey, I met some hockey guy. They said he was good, and, and no one could pronounce his name. And I'm just like, they're like, he was cool though. He was a nice guy. Uh, yeah. Is he good? And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he's a hockey guy. Yeah, I'm like, like one guy's like, he was pretty good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he was good. Yeah. So he was, he was okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Paul Pocky podcast with Ray Ferraro from TSN. Uh, good luck tonight in the not good luck. Good job or whatever you say to, for you calling the game tonight. Leafs Red Wings. Uh, subscribe on Stitcher, iTunes, Podcatcher. I don't know what it is. Whatever I don't know it is. either. Uh, all right. Thanks, Ray. Talk to you next week. You betcha, Steve. We'll talk to you then. Thanks. See you.